Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, more than anyone should, you might argue. With me, as always, is my co-host. She doesn't care about the Rock Hall. She knows more than she would like to. Here via Zoom video chat, it's Kristen Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Joe. Uh, Do we have a cat in the lap at the moment? Yes, we have a cat in the lap. The AKG microphone is powerful, but it's not so powerful that it's picking up her very cute purrs. But she is currently trying to not care about the Rock Hall as well. She's doing a good job. Solidarity from our feline friends. (laughs) Well, let's bring in our guest. I'm excited to have her. She is the co-author of the Culture Recommendation newsletter to Bossy Dames, a newsletter that has actually featured us in the past. It's Sophie Brookover. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Joe. Hi, Kristen. How are you? We're great. We're excited to have you. Kristen, actually, you, you can speak to this. It was an exciting moment for us early on in our show when we were featured on your newsletter. Yeah, my friend is a subscriber. Shout out Amy Kelly. She probably reads your newsletter more than she listens to my podcast. So um, (laughs) and she uh, forwarded it to me and was like, hey, you're featured on this newsletter that I love. (laughs) Hell yeah. Crossover promotion. We love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, thank you for saying that. That's really nice. Yeah, it it was a really cool thing. I, I don't think at that point we had 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 any type of shout out from anyone so it was it was very meaningful and so thank you officially thank you officially it was my pleasure because it's a recommendations newsletter we mostly only write about stuff that we really like and are like excited and enthusiastic about so it was a no-brainer well thank you and so uh, since you listened to this podcast Mm -hmm. you're coming into this show with a somewhat of a base level of knowledge yeah. about the rock hall yeah yes yes mm-hmm. just kind yeah, of through what osmosis you, <laughs> what brought you to this podcast what um, brought I was, you to the rock and roll hall of fame yeah i was thinking about this earlier today because i know that like you start by asking people like how do they know about the rock hall it's easier to answer how did i find out about your show first so mm-hmm. somebody had retweeted joe's video with the correct correct dance moves for tainted love yes that is correct so i was like i want to see what these correct dance moves are so i went and hit play and Uh i watched and uh, i laughed so hard that i was like crying mirth tears oh thank you um which is my (laughs) my favorite kind of tears i'm a big crier but i definitely prefer to laugh cry than other cries the joy tears yeah 
Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, let me see what, what else this person is about. And so I went to your profile and I saw that you had a niche podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was like, oh, this is something made in the lab for me. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so uh, to get back to your question about how do I know or care about the Rock Hall. So I was very, very cool in middle school. We, we all were, us yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yes, yes, totally, yes. totally, totally. 100%. No, I, I feel that three at like a deep three level. Three on this uh, call right now. <laughs> Truly, Absolutely. three of the coolest people ever to survive <laughs> middle school. So rather than <laughs> you know trying to do cool things, uh, I was a really successful babysitter. And mm -hmm. that funded for many years my expensive magazine tape cd and concert ticket buying habit and so some somewhere in seventh grade i started subscribing to rolling stone and i was a subscriber definitely through the end of high school i don't know if it went with me to college but yeah no i read it religiously and as you know jan wenner invented the rock and roll hall of fame yeah after, and, invent, after inventing rolling stone as well <laughs> right um, and and to be to be clear he kind of stole the rock and roll hall of fame out from from somebody else. We don't talk about that that much. He's obviously the person who made Joe? who made it like a huge thing. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You can read about this in a great biography of Jan Wenner called Sticky mm -hmm. Fingers, which you know it's a good biography because Jan Wenner hates it. Right. Um, <laughs> it's what happened was someone else had come up with the idea, and it was a, it was like a group of people who had this. They were going to make it a pay per view event. Leslie Gore was one of the people who was involved in that first initial concept of the rock hall and that's why mm -hmm. she's not in and that's maybe where it all began why she's not in yeah i mean could be day. i mean possibly do you know but... how petty these people are yes, <laughs> yes. i've learned so, uh -huh. so much petty. totally but then what ha jan wenner found out about it, and he was like oh this is a good thing and then he more or less and i don't know the exact legal proceedings but he managed to Get his think, sticky little fingers all over. Yeah, get his sticky fingers. And he, he, I think at first it was like buddying up with this guy and maybe earning trust and then a whoop and just snatching it. Shit, man, he Zuckerberg them. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, in, in, in a way, in a way, there's John a commonality between like a lot the of these guys. Oh, gee, God, mm. yuck, ew. Wow. And, and the fact that he did that in service primarily to himself. Uh -huh. Like I, yeah. was my, I had a conversation with my mom this week, of course, because I needed to know her awareness of the bangles and we'll get to that later. <laughs> but I said something about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and she's like, well, what is that exactly? Mm -hmm. And I said, basically, it was Jan Wenner having a midlife crisis and, you know, having to confront the fact that he's actually a mortal being like all of the rest of us. That's so that's his version of a of a convertible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we talk about him a lot on the show. I know he's a bad dude. Why is he so bad? He's just, he's petty and terrible. Power hungry, he's, you know. Yeah. Total uh, megalomaniac. A lot of the things that he does, there's what he would describe as, you know, he's trying to keep the spirit of rock and roll alive and the spirit of youth culture alive, which you could argue maybe he does, you know, to some extent with the magazine and, and certainly did in its heyday. But then there's this also element of buddying up to a lot of the the powers that be, whether they be the artists themselves 
or whatever, and then it becomes like, oh, was this about keeping this spirit alive, or was it about you attaining power and social status through the connections that you could get through something like this? He's like a real Mitch McConnell type. Like it's spiritually? Like, like adjacent <laughs> to power. I, I listened to a really good episode of This American Life about Mitch McConnell, about how uh-huh. he like loves to be adjacent to power. He knows he's not charming himself, uh-huh. but he's just like, all right, if I can get adjacent to cool people and good things or like people who have power then i can and i know how to just kind of like get in there and make it happen yeah jan wenner is certainly i guess the nicest way to put it is he's a complicated figure there you go there you go (laughs) which is how there's like a new translation of the odyssey that's like very very readable like it's written in a a really colloquial way and it begins with like now we're going to talk about a complicated man like, huh. <laughs> so. oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, it, would yeah. you say it was your connection with the growing up with a magazine, Rolling Stone, that oh. kind of got you to be the person who would then be gra- gravitating towards the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? That was certainly a part of it. Also, like my my parents are both really into music and had a great LP collection, and gave me and one of my sisters a little turntable to have in our room. And gave us some LPs that we that we were allowed. What so, LPs were th- was that? Uh, th- these were. I-, I was thinking about that this week. I was like, what was in that list? So the uh, the Broadway cast recording of Peter Pan. Okay. Um, <laughs> At first, I, I was like, why. does it does that mean like Fleetwood Mac or does yeah does that oh, mean like yeah not uh, when we were like five yeah, yeah. Um, although we did listen to a ton of Beatles from mm-hmm. very very early mm-hmm. on and Simon very Park accessible Uncle. yeah yeah super accessible and uh, we had a bunch of. The ones in our room, it was like The Muppet Show, a bunch of Burl Ives and Woody Guthrie, uh, maybe one or two Beatles LPs that like my dad had multiple copies of, that kind of thing. Oh, The yeah. Nutcracker. That was the other one. The Nutcracker is full <laughs> of bangers. Like really. Nutcracker oh, is a yeah, good, yeah. Time. All killer, no filler. Anyway, we <laughs> so we did that. And then like my parents gave me for like my birthday or something, a teeny weeny little Walkman. It was just, just the radio. Okay. And that was when I started like, I would literally turn the dial, just the start way, way yeah. down at like 86 or whatever. And that's then where the good stuff all is. the right? way. That, that's where it's either going to be your, it's like, is this NPR, Christian rock, classical music, <laughs> college radio. or college radio? Yeah. 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 So it was, it was like two different college stations, NPR, and then you got into like the rock stations, top 40 and so on. Anyway. So like yeah. I would listen, just spend the entire afternoon just doing my homework, like math, math worksheets or whatever. And just like, do, 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 do. What are they playing? Yeah. So anyway, I'm raised by music obsessives to become a music obsessive. And I married a music obsessive. You got a lot of uh, records behind you. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's been so he's been working from home since March and uh, has been making his way through the LP collection A to Z. Oh, fun. He's somewhere in the S's right now. Oh, um, my gosh. And everything that's framed back there, there's those are all set lists from shows. Yeah, ah. I was going to be like, are those diplomas? They don't look... I really oh, was no. like, either someone's really learned it. I thought maybe they were call sheets or something, but they were not. They're, it's like a music, They're, a set yeah. list. And yeah. is, is that the thing of like going up to the stage after the show and asking oh, yeah. a roadie for... Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And that is that is really like, he really likes to do that. I, I don't yeah. particularly, but I think it's neat when you have like the, neat, whole, yeah. the whole collection. It's pretty, that's fun. Yeah. And now we're raising a music obsessive. So it's just, it's Aww. like a family tradition. 
So do you remember the first time you heard about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because for a lot, a lot of people, it just kind of washes past them. Yeah. You know, a thing that's people, always in like the periphery. at a party and Joe just <laughs> happened to be the only person around to talk to. And and boom, now you host yes, this podcast. and now uh-huh. you host a podcast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it happens differently for us all. It's true. Everyone has their own journey to Rock Haldom. And for me, it was, I mean, it was covered amply in the magazine every year yeah that's true so and because i read it cover to cover i I was like oh sure yeah rock and roll hall of fame and like i'm also i would never have described it this way as a child but like i have always been interested in lists and like canonicity like how do Mm -hmm. we decide what's really important you know everybody does that in their own family like it was important for my parents to make sure that i knew the nutcracker and the beatles right (laughs) So, so there's a really interesting element of like Everybody does this their own way in their own families and their own social circles. And then that's always sort of in a, frankly, usually one way conversation, but I wish it were more of a two way conversation between like the, you know, regular people like us who love music and the people who are making those decisions and saying like, we're going to put our stamp of approval, like we're co-signing the significance of this artist and this body of work and, and so on. Yeah. Do you think your occupation as a librarian has something to do with, with that uh, interest? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It's Librarianship is, is basically being like a generalist and it really, really helps to just be like almost pathologically curious just like oh no I don't know what that's about let me look it up like the foundational principle of the whole profession Uh is like oh I'm gonna connect people with the stuff that they want to learn more about and I usually wind up learning something in the process which is really fun I'm I'm telling like extremely cool then as now (laughs) well you know my friend who sent me your newsletter is Mm -hmm. also a librarian oh neat it's all it's all coming together I talk a lot on the show and I make this generalization from my personal experience about it being a very male thing to be list oriented Mm. canon oriented Mm -hmm. things like that and I we've had people write to us and tell us you know I'm a woman I love lists I'm a woman I like you know blah 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 and I'm having to keep reminding myself that that's actually just me (laughs) (laughs) and so I you know it's interesting to hear someone do you know kind of like back that up that like you've been interested in like category do you have like a top tens and favorites of things and stuff like that I'm not I'm like I don't maintain that kind of stuff like as assiduously as I have done in the past but I I certainly care about it like in my browser one of the far too many tabs I have open right now is one that tomorrow morning I will refresh very early on and get to learn what all the books are that have won the major literary awards this oh. year. So like this tomorrow is the librarianship Oscars. Oh. It's where we learn, okay, what book won the Newbery Award? What book won the Caldecott Award? That's the one for illustration. Mm-hmm. And of course there's a zillion other awards, like a bunch of lifetime achievement awards. And there, there's even an award that has been for many years named for Dr. Seuss, but I think they're going to change the name of it at some point. And, and that's for books that are funny, like for okay. children's books that are funny specifically. So there's, this, and then there's one for audiobooks. And And I've been on committees like that. And it's, you know, you guys talk a lot about like being in the room Uh with the nominating committee and how all that horse trading that gets done. I always envision it as very similar to my experiences on, on book award committees where there's a whole bunch of you at the table. You spent the entire year reading and rereading and analyzing and discussing and looking at the criteria and thinking about how the book itself matches those things. And 
yeah, there is, there's some horse trading there and there's a lot of strategy that goes into how oh. you present your case. Those committees, th these book award committees, they, they have actual rules. <laughs> um, not very rock and roll no no but again like we're librarianship yes and rock and roll i mean you know maybe it's an unexpected pairing but it's a very fruitful one mm -hmm. um, so there's they have rules i imagine the rock hall is a little bit more of a free-for-all as befits the genre of music you yeah know, I, I mean you don't want to be uptight and have rules <laughs> Yeah, as you know, I have uh, reverse engineered my own rules to make yeah. to, to make it to more give it like some rules. yeah, just like a library. That's a completely order. understandable and good impulse, and I'm glad that you followed it because if you have no criteria, how are you going to get to anything that is l remotely like consensus? The yeah, then the, your your brain melts, yeah. and yeah, and we don't we don't want that. Well, yeah, you well just choose not to think about it. I don't know, like <laughs> whatever. Okay, I mean, we all have different approaches. <laughs> See, allegedly that is an option but i just find that in my life i really do have to remind myself frequently like you don't actually have to have an opinion about everything you can, uh, you can let that go it's hmm. fine very very but strange it's hard. yeah <laughs> is there like i don't know say a like 5 a.m drop for these uh <laughs> for the awards board? yeah oh, yeah the press conference starts at 8 a.m 8 a.m. Eastern. Oh, oh so it is gosh. like almost the it, exact for same. For you, it would literally be 5 a.m., yeah. Because that's, yeah. yeah, that's about yeah. when they do the, the yeah. rock hall, mm -hmm. which, you know, that is coming up. That's, they are going to, by yeah. the time this episode drops, they will have already met for the nominating committee and there will be a ballot that is that they all know but they take about a month to prepare everything, the ballot oh, book, they need and to the get bios, the and, and yeah, all that and they have to put up together the press release, and there's a <laughs> there's a whole uh, list of stuff they have to do. It takes about three to four weeks. So this oh. is going to be our last regular episode before we switch into special coverage. Mm. Oh gosh. <laughs> I sound love the effect. special coverage sound effect. Sound I'm, effect. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. I still don't even know what it sounds like. I do not listen to our show. Um, uh, Joe, do you think that you will have any knowledge of who's on the ballot before the ballot comes out? Ooh, I mean, maybe a day before, Okay. you know, okay. but I don't I mean, like as every year we, we get closer and closer to the inner circle, I feel. It's I mean, I feel like we have really if you had told us when we first started the show that we would be, you know, talking to people who are currently on the nomcom, that we would have several people be like, oh, yeah, well, we know the people like just to be so few degrees away from power or from like the inner influence from the inside. or yeah well you can see how it's intoxicating for jan right <laughs> yeah i, I <laughs> get think it about how you're feeling at the just at the prospect of joe not you yes. joe knowing a day ahead exactly but you're That's psyched about it up. i don't even care I, exactly oh, no. <laughs> i really did i started to like i got like a little bit giddy at the prospect and that's stupid and it's, it's okay, but it's also okay to be stupid, and stupid true. is not bad. So that's oh. all happening. That's all happening very, very soon. That's exciting, uh, and that that is because we have been, you know, the calendar has shifted and things have changed, and we haven't had an exciting drop of right. either nominees or inductees since early 2020, and yeah. so it has been almost a full year 
it's probably been a, a full year since we've had any type of announcement like this. And so it is, it, it, that's like the bread and butter of the show. That's I know. Yeah, no, I've been impressed with how you've decided, like, obviously, like when the pandemic hit, like that caused you to make some changes. And then when everything popped off this summer with Black Lives Matter, I, I thought that the shift that you made in your episodes was a good one. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, I think that was very wise. And now and we're out I gave you here. a little breathing room too, to think about how you wanted, yes. what would you be doing when you got back to recording regular episodes? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't an easy decision, but both times to figure out what to do, especially because our show is so, is meant to be so almost seasonal. Like we know what right. we're doing for mm -hmm. every part of the year. And it's a cycle that has not changed in terms of the calendar mm -hmm. for decades. Yeah. And so, you know, it made, it made us think about stuff and, and consider things. And, but we're, we're happy to be back. I'm you know, realizing how many of the songs from those pandemic playlists that you were putting together for a while have made it into my like foundational kind of regular rotation of liked songs on Spotify. Is that right? That's yeah. so nice. A oh. bunch of um a lot of ones about, you know, sitting and uh, by yourself being alone <laughs> and stuff. Alone too long, uh by, by Holland Oates. I mean, that's a real banger. Ooh, baby. We've been alone too long. A rare oats a lead rare vocal. Oats Ooh. lead vocal. I've really been enjoying that. I still enjoy that one. I come back to it occasionally. Uh, that's a, that's a great groove. Why don't we talk a little bit about the Bangles? Hey, let's do uh, it. Sophie, what do the Bangles mean to you? Slash, do you remember the first time you heard the Bangles? I, I mean, I don't remember the experience, like or what day or anything like that. But uh -huh. uh, it, it definitely the first song of theirs that I heard that made an impression on me was Manic Monday. which of course got huge airplay when it was released. I would have been 10 or 11. And of course, like listening to the radio just constantly, that song is just terrific. And uh, mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, no, no, I really like this. It wouldn't have been then, but I, I would have learned relatively quickly after that, that it had been written by Prince, who I also was mm -hmm. super into at that time. And I, I was just looking doing some Wikipedia-ing in order to prepare for today. And I saw that at the same time as Manic Monday was heading way up the charts, uh, so was Kiss. Yes, and, and Kiss, so was, Kiss was number one and was what kept Manic Monday from being right. number one because it went mm -hmm. to number two. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so I, I just, I always thought that was really, really cool. And to be per perfectly clear, Manic Monday is technically written by Christopher. Christopher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wait, That's what? the credit. It's Prince's... the name Christopher, full stop? It, yeah. Yep. That's no it. last name? Nope. Just Christopher. That's which his isn't little... Even his name? Prince is His so name's wild. Prince. <laughs> his birth right, name's right. Prince. He didn't do anything. He was just like, I don't know, say it's by Christopher. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. He, I, he I wonder... Have to prove that he wrote that great song? Like, what? I'm curious yeah. because it's like, I don't know, he's like a mysterious little man. There's like that aspect to it. I think there, I don't even know if there was like a label thing, like, you know, sometimes that oh. kind of thing. I, I, I don't know, but it seems to me like a very Prince move to use a pseudonym. Yeah. And to, and to write, I think for him, I think it's sort of about like, well, when I write a Prince song, like I'm writing for me. Oh right? yeah. For and sure. he was so good at writing for other people. 
Yeah, that it, it totally true. makes sense mm-hmm. that he would be like, okay, well, when I'm writing as Christopher, it's in this, <laughs> like sparkling pop groove, right? As a, uh-huh. like, I mean, that song really doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sound, sound, it's like not Prince, rooted in yeah. R&B particularly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very rooted in just like a classic Beatles-esque pop. pop. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, so. I've always, I, you know, something that I, I have clocked though is the similarities, at least between the beginnings of Manic Monday and the beginning of 1999, which is, you know. And then mm-hmm. Manic Monday has the same similar, like. Oh my yes. gosh, yeah. Now yeah. I hear it. Uh, he wrote it for them partly as a like a thank you. Like they were part of this scene in LA called the Paisley Underground, which was pop and rock groups that were influenced by the birds, lots of like chiming guitars, mm-hmm. right? And these tight vocal harmonies that are I think you can attribute like the birds, the Beatles, the mamas and the papas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like there was sort of like this psych rock garage rock element. Mm-hmm. And so they were in this scene uh, with a number of other bands and Prince was into it. I mean, so into it that he named his place Paisley. Paisley you know, he Park, named it after yeah. them. In, yep. in oh, after that scene, I thought, yeah. I was like, oh, so they called it Paisley because it was influenced by Paisley Park because it was, <laughs> no, opposite. Interesting. Yep, other way around. Yeah. You were talking about like your parents giving you a Walkman radio or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I was like a very young child, I was maybe five years old. There were these things called pocket rockers, which were yeah. like little, almost like an eight track, but like a tiny little cassette tape. It had two songs on it mm-hmm. uh-huh. and you put it in like a purple plastic 80s toy. looking toy and it would play one song on one side and one song on the other. And the first Thing I ever had in my pocket rocker was it was a Bengals little mm-hmm. it, like I think that's what it came with like when you bought a pocket rocker it came mm-hmm. with a Bengals little cassette tape and nice. one side I'm pretty sure was definitely one side was what's it called walk like an Egyptian and then yeah. I think the other side was Manic Monday I that is I very very vividly remember being like a very little child and having playing that song over and over again mm. in my bedroom yeah. and pretending that I could whistle during the whistling part <laughs> like just oh, like forming my little lips like pretending that i was mm-hmm. whistling just like them that's really uh, cute <laughs> there is something about i think being a kid and i do think the bangles music is weirdly accessible especially those songs because i have a memory of manic monday being on some 80s compilation cd mm-hmm. that i feel like my parents won in like a grab bag thing at a party or something mm-hmm. and manic monday was the first song and it's a, it's a you as a kid you can get it because you're like i know the days of the week like the the concepts here are not super you know right at least from the Mm get-go and you know also you're familiar with the concept of like garfield hating mondays like yeah i'm already primed and ready maybe you've never had a hard hard monday but like you get it you're out there you you prefer the weekends and, and rhyming monday with sunday like I get it. I'm on board. That's something mm-hmm. I could do. <laughs> right. That's what poetry is. My first grade teacher told me that it's rhyming. Yep. And I, and, oh, so that's what this is. It, yeah. So that, that is an interesting thing about them. And it is that connection to the 60s and that era mm-hmm. of music that I think they were, you know, obviously. And, you know, they, they've said this, you know, it's no secret that that's the music they liked. And that was kind of the music they were trying to put their spin on while paying homage to to those 
especially the vocal groups of that time. Now, I have the impression that, because sometimes I'll just be like, oh, yeah, everybody knows this. It's maybe not true. Um, (laughs) I have the impression that Prince would often write music for women that he had that he was into, that he was attracted yeah. to, that he oh, was yeah. like mm-hmm. trying to get with, right? That's not, mm-hmm. that's okay. I'm not coming yeah. out of nowhere. I mean, with this. that's, that's very true. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I think it made Susanna Hoffs a little bit uncomfortable. Also, in, in, and this isn't exactly in Prince's defense, but like in the mid 80s, who doesn't have a crush on Susanna Hoffs? In the you know mid I mean? 2020s, who doesn't have a crush? On, we saw yeah. her at the damn uh, induction at in the 2018. Induction, and she said she was 60, she and everybody went, 60. ah! It yeah. Oh, everybody screamed like, no, it was like, it was uh, not, not a joke. Literally everybody in the room gasped and you could feel it. And Kristen, do you know that she did the wheel show? No. So the wheel show is a show that Kristen and I used to do. Uh, it was a variety show here in Los Angeles. And before Kristen was on board, Susanna Hoffs was the musical guest. And uh, so I listen, I've hugged Susanna Hoffs. Wow. Okay. I don't. I don't want to have to brag. put that picture out on Twitter when we release this episode. That's yeah. going to be some, you know, bonus content throughout the yeah. week. Yeah, uh, and she was great, and I was very embarrassed because it was one of our lighter shows in terms oh, of. Oh no! I, I, you know, I almost thought like we have Susanna Hoffs. I don't even have to do any marketing; it does itself. And I should have, uh, I should have gotten the word out a little bit better. I felt embarrassed, but she was so cool and so professional and she obviously sounded great and she was there with a few other musicians she was there with petra hayden who's a very talented violinist and uh she was there accompanying her and she's a really great artist in her own right uh and it was just it was just a very special there was a moment where she was like rehearsing before anybody was in there and it was just me uh and our friend sam wiles and we and she was just playing manic monday by herself like on a guitar and like we were like almost crying yeah i <laughs> yeah. believe it it was just very that, that beautiful right just yeah. very very beautiful yes well, she's, yeah. she is yeah exactly and she's she is just she's very beautiful outside as well she's like a very attractive woman she's just in the like 80s prototype she is the mold for the beautiful girl next door she's just got it all she's a real <laughs> she's real got it all lady. baby she's got it all she's a, a real a real la woman well, you know, we've already started to talk about the songs. So why don't we go ahead and, as you know, Sophie, we have a list of categories. Songs is included in that list that if, you know, a group or artist does well in those categories, maybe they have a good shot at induction. At least that's my theory. So why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, we'll see how the bangles do in the categories. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break. You learned where your local composting place is. You know, you took a mm-hmm. little time, you looked it up, you found out about it. Maybe you mm-hmm. composted for the first time today and you can't stop talking about it. Hmm. Maybe. All right, let's go to the categories. The Bangles became eligible for the Rock Hall in 2008 because the Bangles EP was released in 1982. That was the self-titled. Although they did have a release in 1981 that was under their original name, The Bangs, which is a very cool name. That's and I a think cool name. They were bummed that they had to change it because there was another group already called The Bangs, and legally they had to I'm make like, you, change. It'd be wild if there wasn't already a group named The Bangs because it's a, such a great name. But nope. 
they're the Bengals. You know, a little give give that little Beatles influence mm-hmm. through it. Susanna Hoffs, as we know, has a connection to the Rock Hall. She was there at the 2019 induction ceremony, inducting the Zombies, another one of the Bengals' 60s influences. She gave a she gave a great speech, as I recall. Maybe overshadowed by the fact that uh, everybody <laughs> gasped at her at the reveal of her age. <laughs> uh, and she was also she was she did the jam at the end. She was up there with everybody when they did all the young oh, dudes. Oh yeah, all the young dudes. That's right. So let's start with our first category, iconic slash recognizable songs. And obviously we we brought up what was their first major hit, which was Manic Monday, that went to number two, kept out of the number one slot by Kiss, by not the band Kiss, but the song Kiss, by <laughs> by Prince slash Christopher. And then, you know, the next one, I would say we we have also brought up from the same album, which would be Walk Like an Egyptian. <laughs> A song that, you know, to me sticks out in their catalog a little bit because it is such a novelty song. Yes. Yeah. And it, it doesn't quite sound like the rest of no. what they do. And, you know, they have said they didn't really enjoy the recording process that much. Who wrote that song? A guy named Liam Sternberg. And then, you know, they have said that it was it felt like their producer at the time, a guy named David Kahn was just having fun in the studio, like making like little noises. And like, sadly, Debbie Peterson, the drummer, is not on the record at all. Oh, they used a drum machine. They used a drum machine. And also the rest of them each take a verse, but she does not. Does she, is she the one who whistles then? In the video, yes. But the, (laughs) but the, isn't it? Okay, great. It is her in the video, almost as like a consolation prize. But that whistling on the record is a machine. Whoa. That sounded like real whistling. Yeah, technology, baby. <laughs> wow, the blown. 80s coming through. It explains why in the video she's only playing the tambourine. Exactly, right. Because there's no the drum kit. real yeah. drum part. Yeah, and I think she was bummed because it was this weird thing of the producer made them audition to have a verse in the song. And they were they were like, this feels weird. Like, why are we... And then, like, also, we're like a band. We play instruments. We write songs. We like to make music together. And then instead, you're treating us like a little prefab pop uh-huh. band. Earn your space. Kind yes, of prove exactly. your worth. Ew. So I think that whole process kind of soured them on the song. And also, you know, especially because that song became kind of their calling so card for a lot of people. Incredibly popular. Yeah, it was it was huge. And it's weird that they had such a bad experience with that producer because he produced their first album. Yeah, and, right, and, which is very Bangles. You know, it didn't have as many hits, but it was definitely a good representation of their sound and how, yeah. how they were as a band. In between their second and third album, they had a, a very big song, a cover of a Simon and Garfunkel song, Hazy Shade of Winter, which was on the Less Than Zero soundtrack. Another song that went to number two. A great song, Hazy Shade of Winter. And also that's one of the songs where in juxtaposition with Walk Like an Egyptian, they have said 
this sounds like us. This is more well, really what the Bengals sound is. Is one of those ones too, where it's a really interesting cover, and also it rocks. You yes. know, it's got a oh, cool yeah. guitar lick in it. I really dig it. It's cool. I like that they like it. They're singing in harmony and they're kicking ass. One one of the problems to me with Walk Like an Egyptian is that there's barely any harmonizing at all. Yeah, yeah. which is and, uh, something that's so crucial to what the right. battles are. It's a huge, huge element of their appeal. And now I'm thinking about how wild Walk Like an Egyptian sounds like. I'm thinking about all of the weird stuff in the production of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just like the producer just like goofing around. Uh, and, and also it's, you know, is it racist? OAO, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little dance. I rewatched the video yeah. yesterday and was just yeah. like, Oh boy, wow. Oh, yeah. we, mm. I mean, they say things about Chinese people. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. They do say things about cops, which I'm like, okay, cool. Right. Okay. <laughs> you can but... diss on cops, but <laughs> really everything else is wrong. I yeah. don't like it. It's also from that time, I mean, not to give it a pass, but like there was a lot of racist just oh, yeah. things that were happening in popular mm-hmm. culture that were completely, you know, this was John Hughes movies. This is all of that happening yeah, all I mean, at the same right. time. I was thinking you know? that like the Egyptian dance with your hand in front and your hand behind mm-hmm. you is very much like an 80s comedy move that feels almost divorced from any meaning other than just like it's a, it's a silly thing. You know, yeah. obviously when you look a little bit deeper and give it a little more thought you're like oh this is this is some problematic problematic uh, things yeah. going on here mm-hmm. and then the the last big song that i think everybody would know from the bangles uh, is eternal flame is this burning an eternal flame? again is a song that i don't think is like super representative of the Bangles sound. It almost feels like a Susanna Hoffs solo, you but know? It's, I would say in terms of the arrangement, like m- minus the strings, although they do have strings on a couple of their very early songs, you know, the the harmony, it's, yeah. not, it's not punchy. I mean, I, to me, the ultimate Bangles song would be super punchy, driving beat, yeah. awesome harmonies, a chorus that you wake up singing and, and short. Like they really adhere to the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers credo of don't bore us, get to the chorus. Like, just yeah. let's go. And a lot of the songs on their first album are just over three minutes, which is perfect. Now, Eternal Flame, there was a lot of drama at Lockport Township High School. Ooh, uh, tell <laughs> us. I went to, no, there was just, I just remember when I was in high school, there was drama about two girls were fighting over who was going to sing Eternal Flame in the variety show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a member of the drama club, we were in charge of, you know, setting the running order and hosting the show. And so caused us a lot of strife. You know, Eternal Flame was also, it kind of came at, at a pretty dramatic moment for the Bangles too, because the media was kind of pushing that Susanna Hoffs was the lead singer of right. the bangles that she was That's the how i've always thought of them i guess there you wouldn't think of it that they don't they, they did not think way. of it no because they all sang they all wrote and mm-hmm. they would take turns with their songs but obviously as has been mentioned Susanna hoffs is very photogenic uh, mm-hmm. i think there was also like you know she's shorter than the rest of them so she's always in front of the pictures and she was also you know her mom is a movie director so she was also right. she had a little bit of like a 
movie career going. Mm-hmm. She, she had a movie career going? I mean, she well, was popping up and stuff. Like, she yeah, wasn't, okay. like, the star, but, you know, yeah. having a, a mom who's directing things, you know, little movies that nobody remembers. But at the right. time, yeah, it, it felt like the media was, they wanted a lead, and they, they picked Susanna. And a lot of these big hits, especially something like Eternal Flame, it's, Susanna is, is front and center, and she co-wrote the song with... Tom Kelly and uh, Billy Steinberg, who wrote a lot of big hits in the 80s, like Alone by Heart or So Emotional by Whitney Houston. And I think that caused also a little bit of drama with the band because they were like, yeah, I guess you could do this song. Like, so could Whitney Houston. Like, you're just kind of doing this this song that's made by these hit makers and we're a fucking band. Right. Once again, yeah, they're getting put into that pop mold when they came from a different background. Yeah, they did come from more of a, a like a pop rock mm-hmm. background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me the degree to which they internalized some of those like rockist messages. Mm-hmm. Like it's awesome that they wrote their own songs and and that's fantastic. But I don't think that that is necessary. Do you know what I mean? Like, Right. Yeah. No, yeah, not we necessarily. Don't, and you guys yeah. have talked about this a lot on the show. You know, like we don't require Whitney Houston to have written her songs. She's an incredible interpreter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes sense that, you know, young women who grew up listening to Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles and the Birds would want to write their own pop songs. Mm-hmm. But then to, to sort of like have that ambition and talent curdle into. Like that's the only way yeah. we should record music. And that's the only kind of songs that we should be famous for. I can really see that driving a wedge just internally in the band. That's real. it's a hard thing to navigate. I mean, I think fame is a really hard thing to navigate. I think it's actually it like just feels poisonous. Like this, yeah, it feels like this tale is old as time. I mean, how many oh, yeah. bands have you seen go through this? Men, women, all of it, where it's just, are we a band or are we your backup? Oh, yeah. And what's intriguing to me is I did not know this. I thought that Susanna Hoffs was the lead singer of the Bengals because she's the only person whose name I know in right. the Bengals. What right. are the other people's names? Do um, you know the other. Names? So the the drummer is Debbie Peterson. <gasps> Bassist is Michael Steele. So I guess the right. lead guitarist is uh, Debbie's sister, Vicky. And how did they all meet? In the, the California scene, they're each from different parts of L.A. I think mm-hmm. the Peterson sisters are from the Valley. And, you know, Susanna's from West L.A. And Michael Steele is not the original bassist, but the original bassist who's actually with them again now, Annette Zelenskas, was with them very briefly at the beginning. Didn't make it to the first full album, but she's on, I believe, the the EP. I think at some point, 2018, as recent as that, Annette rejoined the band. So she missed kind of all of it, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Arguably, Michael. That's healthier. Yeah, yeah, right. And Michael Steele was in the Runaways for a, right. s- a short period of time. Those four songs, I think, are the the ones everybody knows. But they have very good songs, and they had songs that charted well beyond that. That I think are worth mentioning. In your room oh, uh, is a great oh, song yeah. that went to number five. hit at the time i don't think you hear it that much anymore which is too bad because it's it's great and it's a very bangles song one of their first singles from their first album hero takes a fall 
I, is just one of my favorite songs, period. That's a really good song. And our family is doing like an intermittent rewatch of Gilmore Girls. And uh, yes. we got to the episode in season one where Suki buys tickets for her and Lorelai and Rory and Lane to go see the Bangles. And they opened with Hero Takes a Fall. That's great. I think there's a generation of, of people who know about the Bangles through Gilmore Girls. Yeah, that's a good thing. I, I was thinking, we'll get to more of that later, but I have been thinking a lot about that in terms of like their influence and how well-known they are and how well-known they deserve to be. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I would say uh, that first album, All Over the Place, is honest, for me, that album is like, definitely a peer of Rubber Soul. They were at that level on their first full-length album. Oh my gosh, we've moved into albums. A seamless oh, transition. Look at that yeah. seamless transition. Seamless. It was great. It was perfect. Well, I'm going to wind up weaving things together because there's a couple <laughs> of other songs I want to talk about, but sure. I can talk about it in the context of this album yeah. being so let's talk, yeah. very important. Let's talk about this next category, classic albums. Yeah. So really there are three albums from their heyday. Their right. first full length, as you mentioned, all over the place from 1984. And then Different Light, from 86, which is the one that had Manic Monday and Walk Like an Egyptian. And then the last one, Everything from 1988 is the one that had Eternal Flame on it. And then they broke up and then they, they've come back and made albums since, but those are really the three albums from the classic Bangles period. Yeah, those are the ones that I would put forward as the like the most significant. And then if you needed to convince someone on the nominating committee or someone who's a, a <laughs> Rock Hall voter that they have like real, real, I'm putting real in quotation marks, um, rock bona fides, I would say that that person should listen to uh, this compilation of their early like demos called mm -hmm. Ladies and Gentlemen, The Bangles. Um, what a good name. And yeah, it is a great name. I think, you know, it evokes the Beatles, the Beatles on yeah. Ed, Ed Sullivan show. And also those songs, again, like the roots of everything they accomplished later, it's right there from Jump, very tight, decent songwriting, hooks galore. It's really, I was very impressed. I also just want to say, I know we have talked a lot about how attractive Susanna Hoffs is, but I am looking at all of the pictures. I'm looking at pictures of all of them. They're all very attractive. Oh, yes. Right. Like, you really could have picked a lead singer out of the bunch, really mm -hmm. any of them. So just I want to go on record as saying, I think they're all beautiful. I concur. Uh, I hadn't realized it until now. Yeah, like I'm looking at the cover of All Over the Place, and you know, it's notable that Susanna who admittedly has awesome legs. She's gorgeous. Yes. She's the one in a short skirt. Yes. Um, yeah. The others the others are very sensibly for women who probably had to pack up and move their own gear, you know, wearing jeans. Uh, um, I'll also say that I, I know most of the Bangles music through a Greatest Hits compilation, right. which I think they are a, a good Greatest Hits band. It is. Yeah, yeah. that is you what know. they are. Yeah, it's really impressive. And their track record of selecting really great covers is terrific. You mentioned Hazy Shade of Winter, which I think they do an awesome job, particularly on the, these like really luscious golden vocal harmonies. They chose uh, September Girls by Big Star and Alex Chilton. Probably my favorite of all of their covers is If She Knew What She Wants by Jules Shear. She knew what she wants. 
right. They really made that song their own. They did. They did. And I just think it's a terrific song about like a point in a relationship that doesn't usually get talked about, which is, you know, not the, oh my God, we just met and I love you so much. And not the, oh my God, you broke my heart, drop dead. But we're kind of breaking each other's hearts right Mm -hmm. now. And neither of us wants to say that it's over. Yes. But I kind of know that it's over. And that sucks. (laughs) It's beautiful. I think they did. They do such a lovely job. I think their taste is great. And I think what they do with the things they choose is also terrific. And I um, would be extremely remiss not to give a little shout out to their version of going down to Liverpool. which is by Kimberly Rue, who you probably know best as the guy who wrote Walking on Sunshine. Katrina and the Waves. Katrina and the Waves, yes. Uh, Well, let's let's connect this category to the next Mm. one, Classic Albums and Critical Acclaim. Do you guys think the Bengals have an album on the Rolling Stone 500? I do not. Are we talking about the newly updated one that We're came out this summer? Are we talking about the the either older either one? either one? 2012, 2020, right? Are those the three ones? Yeah. Or, okay. That those are the ones. Even though 03 and 2012 are basically the same list. But what do you guys think, Kristen? You said no. Quickly. I do not think so. <laughs> I just don't. I'm like. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I just thinking of Rolling Stone and it's not that I don't think there should be, but I think that no. I feel like there's gotta be one. Which one do you think? I really want it to be all over the place. I think it is just the superior album. Like it's Uh the most cohesive cohesive. artistically. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the most truly representative of the type of music that they wanted to make and that they were able to make. I'm gonna go with that, but I'm gonna, I, I wouldn't put it high. So I will say that the Bengals do not have an entry on the Rolling Stone. Yeah, they do not. There's no way. Rolling Stone is dumb. And also, I can't imagine them giving them a a place of honor. And now I think we're probably rolling over into critical Critical acclaim. acclaim, But like... I think because Walk Like an Egyptian is a bit Mm -hmm. of a novelty song and almost got too popular, that that hurt them with Mm -hmm. kind of like the esteem of these like raucous men especially in the 80s and so i can't see them getting that kind of respect at that time and then now i think we are looking back on them and thinking of the things that we know of them and it's like number one walk like an egyptian still lingers Mm. you know and the susanna hoffs as like a solo or like front woman still lingers there's like all the things that were kind of done to them that don't have anything to do necessarily with the quality of their music or of them as musicians is not helping their critical case yeah i do think though critically especially and i think this is especially because they hearken back to the golden age that critics tend to love that right. you know a, a certain rolling stone white male critic really loves yeah. that i think critically they were well received old yeah, guard women critics influenced by the 60s like yeah, who are sound you like me? the mamas yeah. and the papas and right. sound exactly. like the birds like, like yeah that's yeah that does sound like something that they would like but it doesn't necessarily sound like something that they would long lastingly continue to praise why don't we go and talk about the next category commercial success they were so 
so popular, especially those the the second and the third albums. Mm-hmm. So they were selling millions and millions of of records. And I think part of that is because you really didn't have access to buying singles as singles. Their capacity to produce awesome singles, mm-hmm. super listenable, four and five to an album. It's much it's much easier to plunk down your hard-earned babysitting or paper route money for something where you look at it and you're like, okay, well, of these 10 songs, I've heard five and I liked all of them. So, okay. Uh-huh. There's such obvious listen next artists for people who love as we've been saying, like the Beatles, the Birds, mm-hmm. Mamas and the Papas, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the Eagles, like they are a lot like the Eagles. They have a great singing drummer. They do awesome <laughs> harmonies. Yeah. Their names are both NFL teams. Uh, the, the similarity is- There's drama There's... around who's the lead singer. Yeah. Uh-huh. The singles just don't like it, the similarities never end. They're mm-hmm. they are. I think one day have we ever seen the Bengals and the Eagles in the same room together? Yeah, exactly. Really makes you think. Mm. Mm. The Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the next category, which is longevity. They formed in the early '80s. Their first EP was in '82. Although as the Bangs, they're around '81. Their first full length was '84, but they didn't really hit big until '86. And then they were broken up by 89. So depending on how you want to judge this, when were they really big or how long were they around fully, either answer is not super long. I think if they had a longer career, if they were able to stay together, they would probably have a stronger case. And that might be one of the things that handicaps them in in a sense. I think they would really, really benefit, as I believe the Go-Go's have, from having a documentary about them okay oh also i have the musical (laughs) yes i mean that that jukebox musical was apparently excellent like it wasn't about it wasn't about the go-go's but it used their yeah it's like mama mia they went the we will rock you mama mia got it uh route with that one they didn't go carol king beautiful route which is another way you can go i think musical (laughs) i mean just thinking off of that like i feel pretty strongly that the go-go's are probably going to be on the ballot this year because of the documentary. I hope so. Uh, We will see, you know, very soon. Yeah. But cultural momentum weirdly plays a factor into this. I think one of the reasons Nine Inch Nails got in last year was because there was Watchmen and uh, Black Mirror and Old Town Road. And like sometimes when things are happening Mm -hmm. that you can, you connect back to those artists that can, that can benefit. I completely agree. Next category is influence. I have thoughts. Please, Ooh. because, you know, this one This one trips me up a little bit just because obviously as one of the few female rock bands that were massively successful, like they're just, there really aren't that many and they were able to hit the heights of popularity and success that very, very few female groups, let alone female rock groups, they were the right. third ever female group after... I think the Supremes and the Shirelles to have two number one singles. Like, and that, you know, takes it all the way back to the fucking sixties. Good yeah. God. God. And so it like just, just really scary. doesn't happen. So I, that, that is obvious. I can see the influence, but sonically, I wonder just because to me, they feel a little bit like maybe the end of the road of the sixties influence. If there is someone who sonically maybe sounds like the bangles is it that they sound like the bangles or do they sound like the mamas and the papas like do they sound like the beatles like i'm curious what you think about that in terms of the sound influence right 
of that scene that they were a part of, the Paisley Underground, they were by far the most commercially successful. So I think that that really does have to count for something. I would say that in thinking about musicians active today who might or should count the Bangles among their influences, it's hard because like rock is definitely on the decline in terms of popularity, like songs that like, I just feel like music today is just so much more influenced by hip hop and R&B mm-hmm. and then music that might be categorized as rock is like much airier. Like I think about uh, some like Billie Eilish. Yeah. Those arrangements are very sparse. Yeah. They're very intricate. You can tell, but and, and in that regard, she and her brother are very much like, like the weirdo bedroom recording artists of old. I was thinking of Nick Drake, like that kind of thing. The style of music that the Bengals excelled at, almost you don't hear at all yeah. in, in top top 40 radio. And I just want to say like, I'm, I'm sure that there are uh, satellite stations that maybe focus that narrowly on, uh-huh. on this genre, but I only listen to terrestrial radio. So, yeah. so I can't speak to the, the satellite. But I think that also puts you in a good position to be a good judge, especially for the right. kind of stuff we're talking about is, right. you know, if you get to bog down in, in the niche or in right. the not mainstream, mm-hmm. not accessible, you can lose perspective. Totally. Totally. So two contemporary uh, woman-led bands that I think owe something to the Bangles are Best Coast and Heim. Sure. Heim really get folded in with Fleetwood Mac a lot, um, and that's fair. But I think that when you have three terrific vocalists who can sing lovely harmonies, mm-hmm. like you really need to be looking at other bands. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, th- there's a commonality with genetic similarities right. you yes. know, seeing yes. with your literal sister yes makes a huge huge difference there's mm-hmm. there's just no question uh, my husband and i were watching the bg's documentary a couple of weeks ago and that is something that they talked about how there is something that is truly magical when you have siblings harmonize it is it's special it really is i have not watched um, that bg's documentary yet but i've seen an everly brothers documentary that ooh. also brings that up about like yeah well, yeah, when, you, when you've got a, a brother, <laughs> you can both sing really well. Yep. That's nobody's going to be able to hit that, you know, when you're just with your buddy. Yeah. I mean, like the person who you have literally spent the most time in your life with. Yes, it makes perfect sense. A couple of others that might not be immediately obvious are uh, One Direction. Particularly, okay. Yeah, particularly their albums Four and Made in the AM. Those are their last two albums and they are catnip for classic rock listeners. Interesting. Um, again, like these tight harmonies, you can listen to those records and be like, oh, you know, here's their Beatles song. Here's their Kinks song. They sure do write a lot of Fleetwood Mac songs, <laughs> um, you know, and I'm not mad about any of it. It's 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 terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say churches to a yeah. degree, like obviously they lean mm-hmm. very heavily into the synths. Right. And we, we saw Again, like, Lauren Mayberry recently was uh, one of the talking heads uh, talking Depeche about Mode. Depeche Mode and the induction special. Right. And someone who this occurred to me earlier today, I was like making a cup of tea or something. And I was like, huh, what about Post Malone? <laughs> so his song, if you listen to his song Circles, like I, I will I will confess here and now 
that I know exactly three Post Malone songs. Yeah, but that's probably where I top you, out too. Yeah, yeah. I but, think you also might be the only person to ever have an epiphany about Post Malone while making a cup of tea. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, so his song Circles, I think it is still in the Hot 100 and has not fallen out of the Hot 100 since the week it was released. Oh, wow. Which is over a year ago now, maybe even over 18 months ago now. God. My anyway, God. So that song, there is something about um, the melodic line and the subject matter and the tenderness of it that really just gives me a, a slight bangles feeling. One thing that I, and I don't know if it's a failing of Wikipedia, but I, I did notice it was that, you know, usually when I look up a band's Wikipedia, there's a tab for influencer legacy. Yeah. There was not one for the Bengals. I know. I, I will say, though, that that could easily be partially a function of the demographic of people who write and edit Wikipedia mm -hmm. entries. Mm -hmm. um, Good to note. Good to note. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually like a whole movement not just in librarianship, but I know a number of librarians who are involved, involved in it, who basically write and beef up entries about women in particular, because they tend to get short shrift. That is a cool thing. I it hate is. that it's necessary, but I like mm. that someone noticed and was like, hey, uh, librarians, activate. Let's go. <laughs> you know? yeah, let's Assemble. go. Basically. All right. Next category is artistry slash skill. Now, this is a category that I think, especially if you don't know the Bangles very well, you could maybe be led astray because we talk about some of their bigger songs that don't represent maybe their artistry or skill and they're written by other people. And, you know, they, they don't showcase something like their harmonies, you know, from a very limited viewpoint of like, well, is anyone really that great of a singer or really great of a guitar player or whatever? But I do think it's the culmination and the sum is greater than the whole of the parts, the right. kind of magic yes. of, of what they are that should not be dismissed. Right. It's a, it's a synthesis of disparate skills and abilities that results in something that is, like you said, just far greater than the sum of its parts. I know that I have been like evangelizing for all over the place, but like you cannot write and record an album that is that assured and coherent if you don't have chops. And I think also it is connected to the people who have decided what is important and what is mm. uh, artistic. And I think about the way that the Bangles accomplished what they wanted to do and they did it well. And because that wasn't necessarily super challenging or daring or experimental, that should not take away from it, oh, if totally. you know what I mean. Yes, and I, I yes. think sometimes the way that things are presented is that, you know, you're not a true artist unless you are taking like wild risks all the time. And I, I if we can get away from that line of thinking is right. probably a, a, a good place to be. And I think we have not gotten away from that, especially when it comes to the, when it comes to the rock hall. And I think a lot of the people who make the decisions, whether it's in the nominating committee or the voting body, I think sometimes that is hard to parse out. Yeah, I, I think there has to be somebody to stick up for the concept of like best in class. Who takes this genre or this particular style of music to like its highest possible level? And I would say that the Bengals are definitely, they're in there. They are definitely mm -hmm. in the mix. 
one thing that does make them remarkable in that way is that it is a group entirely made up of women. I think a lot of factors have led to them being a little more forgotten. Like for example, my writing partner, Margaret, and my own child, we all watched the Go-Go's documentary together. Mm-hmm. And when I said I was going to be on this show talking about the Bengals, they were like, oh yeah, I love that documentary. Oh no. Oh wow. I was yeah. like, guys, that's the Go-Go's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's sucks. Do you know, yeah. Like yeah. there's there's absolutely room in every person's record collection on every radio station's heavy rotation for both of those artists and many yes. more besides. Yes. And it is garbage that they've gotten blocked out of that. And I do think that uh, like a symbiotic relationship where having a documentary made about you, you know, licensing your songs for use in a musical, you know, having famous friends who like Mm -hmm. stick up for you. Like, and I actually think Susanna Hoffs has done a really nice job of maintaining and sort of shepherding that legacy. Mm -hmm. And this is not a knock at all on the other three members of the group. People who stop being famous are allowed to like, just like live their lives Uh ways that they feel are fulfilling. (laughs) Like it's not important for everyone to be in the spotlight. So like her husband directed the first Austin, maybe also the second Austin Powers movie. I think he directed all of them. That's yeah. Jay Roach. And very famous comedy director is married to Susanna Hoffs. And she recorded some songs for, for those soundtracks and then like has gone on to do a couple of albums of duets with Matthew Sweet, who is also awesome and right. super deserves to be in the Rock Hall. God, like Matthew Sweet. Sid, Sid and Susie is their moniker for those recordings. And they're they're really okay. fun. There's three albums and they kind of go through the decades, like songs from the 60s they like, songs from the 70s they like, songs yeah. from the 80s. I think that's uh, awesome. And it just shows like they understand their position in those lineages. And I think doing like doing that work alone combined with the their previous output that we've been talking about to me that that merits a spot on the ballot so we have one more category mm. maybe the most and important it's category it's a so no-brainer important. we don't even we've kind of already covered it but does my mom know who they are and yes my my mom absolutely does i didn't even need to ask her i know that she does I mean, <laughs> yeah we had that stupid little either. CD. <laughs> she bought me the pocket rocker. Like, right. she right. knows Obviously, who the Bengals are. Right. Your mom knows what's up. And um, I texted my mom. Uh, I asked her and she was like, oh, yes, they did walk like an Egyptian. Yeah, it was really cute. And I was talking to her about how I was going to be on this podcast. She's like, what is the deal with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, there's a nominating committee and Questlove is on it. She's like, I know who that is. And I was like, I, I figured that uh-huh. you would. And Very I said, good. you know, Jan Wenner established it. And she's like, I even know who that is. Well, wow. well, well. It was really, she, yes, she was like, you know, I only know about pop culture from you and your sisters, but yet somehow she knew who all these people were. I love great. that. I, I, lo- I loved it. it. I was just like, oh, this is probably the cutest conversation <laughs> we've had in a while. <laughs> Happy to facilitate. Yes. <laughs> well, it's time for the verdict. Should the Bengals be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will they get in? And if so, when? We're going to start with Kristen. All right, everybody. Here we go. Should the Bengals get in? Yes, they should. Will they get in? Here's the thing. I think they will. And it is an optimistic thinking that they will. And the reason is... If we can fucking sweep out every other category of goddamn music, then we can get the third most famous all-girl rock band in the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't want to hear anything else about it. We have infinite room 
for every all-male rock band since the 60s. And so we have room for the damn Bengals. And I'm hopeful that when we start to see the other contemporaries, once we get the Go-Go's in, Benatar in, once we get their contemporaries in, I think you could see in, I don't know, eight years, 10 years, Maybe when all-female rock bands become the newest, hottest, most important thing in 10 years, uh-huh. everyone will be like, we got to put the Bengals in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And like all of the 20-year-old all-girl bands are going to be like, are you telling me the Bengals aren't in the goddamn Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And then you Groundswell and then the rest is history. Yeah. There you go. And so yeah. that's what I think. Yeah. All right, Sophie, same questions. Should they, will they win? Yes, they should. I agree with Kristen that they will in due course. Um, I think we do need to have a big sweep out and they could be a part of a sweep out of like awesome garage rock. I really think if little Steven started to play them on his show, that would help. But see then, you know what, if little, for little Steven to start playing them on his show, we'd have to go back in time and when he was a little boy, when he was a little boy (laughs) and put them in his record collection and plant a little memory in there back then. And then could get that to happen. Sorry. I think, I feel like we, we, we still have a chance even now. I think even if we're not able to invent a time machine (laughs) and go back in time to, to incept little baby, truly little baby, little Steven, I think we we, even tinier little Steven. Um, I think we still have, I think we still have a shot at it. Um, As to when, yeah, I I think eight years is a a realistic timeframe. Interesting. You know, I, I will be, honest is I was kind of torn about this because I do like the Bengals quite a bit, but you know, that it does not necessarily, I try to, I try to keep it objective. I try to keep my opinions out of it. And I was just thinking about, you know, the Bengals, they weren't around for that long. Their big hits kind of don't connect with the spirit of the band. And I had a hard time drawing the influence from them to you know, kind of what's happening now or even what happened later. And, you know, maybe the lack of albums that we consider classic, although what's baked into that is gatekeeper-y shit. Joe. But, 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 but. So that that is why I don't, maybe don't think that they're a priority, you know? Like, they, I don't think like, oh, they, ha- oh, I, I can't, they are such a huge snub. I do think they should be in. So that I'm just giving that to, you know, show that I'm, I'm being impartial is that th- there are those things about it that I think put them in the queue, but maybe not a huge yeah, they're priority Yeah, part next. of the great sweep out. Right. Like there's far more egregious exclusions. For whatever reason, I, I felt like explaining that I, there are things that could make the case stronger that are not in the Bengals' favor. That being said, there just really have not been very many all-female rock bands. In terms of the successful ones, you can count them on one hand. Mm-hmm. And the Bangles had two number one hits and two number two hits. And then beyond that, a few more top 10 hits. They were massive and it was deserving. And especially when you go to their catalog, their songs beyond that are hidden gems and are, are really excellent. Uh, so I think they should. And I, will they? I don't think it's going to happen in the next 10 years. Like I said, I don't think that they are a priority. But I do think that they're a band that has to be acknowledged. And they are their place in the history of rock, I think, is important. I think it's going to be 10 plus years, maybe 
12 or 15, something like that, uh, which is, you know, Susanna is going to be so on stage long. being like, I'm 80 and everyone's <laughs> yeah, and gonna we're, gasp. Yep, everyone being, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But let's just pretend like the bangles are getting in now. Hooray. How cool is that? The, I say you put in the classic lineup, the Peterson sisters and Susanna Hoffs and Michael Steele. I know there's that other woman, Annette, who's with them originally, then come back later. I don't think really she's that important to the foundation of the group and what they did. No shade to her, but you know, she just wasn't really there for it. Who inducts the Vangles? Ooh. I have two a little bit outside the box ideas. Billy Joe Armstrong has been doing pandemic collaborations and songs, and he did one with Susanna Hopps. He did Manic Monday. And Billy Joe, as we know, is he plays the game. He's at a ton of induction ceremonies. I also think the song Warning by Green Day sounds a lot like Manic Monday. And now we talked about Jay Roach, the husband of Susanna Hoffs. So Mike Myers? Yes, I actually do think Mike Myers because... They were in a band together. That's Mike right. Myers and Susanna Hoffs, mm-hmm. pre-Austin Powers, started a band called Ning T, and then they are in the Austin Powers movies. There's some interstitial stuff in that, and maybe all of them, but definitely the first Austin Powers movies where mm-hmm. they're just like, they're playing songs, and mm-hmm. it's him and they're, Susanna Hoffs and some other people. One of them is even on the soundtrack. BBC. BBC That's a Ming T song. Yep. And that's, yeah, that's Susanna. And so I think, weirdly, Mike Myers mm-hmm. would, you know, he, there's a personal connection there. I do it as Austin Powers yeah, would be crazy, did it as but Austin Powers, it'd be wild. That would be, I'd love it. It would be so fun. I mean, like, yeah, baby. <laughs> baby? Those are two that, you know, I, you would want a woman, obviously, but those two have, you know, a connection. I like both of those a lot. I don't know that I could improve on them, actually. I The only thing I can think is just someone that we don't know yet from this great future where there's a ton of all-female <laughs> rock bands. And it's just right. like some 21-year-old, you know, non-binary person who's just like out there talking about how important some Bengals record was yeah. to them when they yeah, were growing up. For sure, for sure. You know, they found it on some sort of Spotify. That we don't know about yet. These, yeah, whatever Spotify will <laughs> be. in blasted right, in your brain from a microchip. Right, the chips yeah. that are inside of us. <laughs> exactly. Like, like that's the only that I could think of that as like, you know, someone that we don't even know yet. What songs do the Bengals play at the ceremony? Now, starts... I think Manic Monday is obvious. Yeah. Yes. Man, and I think I think Hazy Shade of Winter also makes a lot of sense yes. because it's, yeah. you know, it's Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. They were, you know, inducted in 1990 or whatever. Like there, there's that connection that it makes a lot of sense. Now, do they, they? I think they they start with Hazy Shade of Winter. That's a Here's great opening, I yeah. Like just I was thinking in. that, yes, but also I had this other thought because if they have to do Eternal Flame, it would be really cool to just do a very soft, small beginning Eternal Flame mm. and then just halfway through break into Hazy Shade of Winter. Everybody's raucous suddenly. Eternal Flame is so gentle and yeah. you know, soft and mm-hmm. iconic. Then blow the roof off. Then you end with Manic Monday. Everybody's got their hands waving in the air. <laughs> you know, whoa, whoa. Like everybody's loving it. That's I think that's a great, I like that, I like that a lot. Do they have to play Walk Like an Egyptian? No. 
Mm-mm. No, they don't. Now, here's the thing. Watched. Susanna Hoffs played it at the Wheel Show. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Kind of stripped down. It was fun. Because right. it, was, it wasn't the production and it was, you know, I, right. obviously we've talked about the issues with the song's content. But maybe, or maybe a rockified version of that song and we'll allow it because it's, it's from a different time. I would, I would love for them to have another song that they wrote. So may, maybe Hero Takes a Fall or Walking Down Your Street. Yep, and they cut it from the broadcast. And they cut it from the broadcast, exactly. (laughs) Cut it for broadcast, no problem. But that wouldn't matter for people who were there. Yep. Well, speaking of which, if the Bengals get inducted, would you go? Oh, heck yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Like, if it's it's in Brooklyn, that's easy for me to get to. Uh Uh-huh. And if it's in Cleveland, I have family roots in Cleveland, so cool. Then it'll happen. And based on my projections, we'll all be uh, senior citizens. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we'll mm-hmm. all go. Yeah. In 20 years, we'll actually be able to just beam ourselves there. Uh-huh. There you go. I just really I... have a lot of weird ideas about what, how this the future technological future is going to be. I have to say, your vision of the future, I think, is so optimistic. I'm and really I, I mean, trying. I'm, a little I'm scary. Into it. I'm, a little scary. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Pleasure. It was a it was a pleasure to have you, True. and I, I want to give you the opportunity to plug away anything you want your social media, the newsletter, have at it. Sure. Thank you. I would say if you want to come chat with me about anything, pop culture, literary, whatever, my, you can read all of my pert opinions and join in the conversation. I'm on Twitter at, at Sophie Biblio. And uh, the newsletter that I write with my wonderful friend Margaret is called Two Bossy Dames, and you can subscribe to that at twobossydames.substack.com. Is that a number two or spelled out to? T-W-O. Great. All, all of these are words fully spelled out. We're talking the alphabet, baby. We are. <laughs> well, of course, follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram, rockhallpod at gmail.com. If you want Kristen to see that message, you're going to need to designate that somewhere. Otherwise, I'm not forwarding it. Subscribe to us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, rate and review us, five stars only. Eh, come on. Eh, eh, anything less is rude. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. And thank you to AKG for the microphone. I'm Joe Pozzala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 